Welcome to the Hope Elam Podcast. We are a diverse church in the heart of Des Moines, seeking to bring God's kingdom as we live more like Jesus. We hope that what you're about to hear points you to Jesus Christ. Know that we're praying for you and look forward to connecting with you soon. Good morning, Hope Elam. It is so good to see you. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is great to have you here, whether you're in the room or our online family that's worshiping with us as well. It's great to have you here this morning. This commercial that you just saw, uh, I don't know what it is about certain commercials these days that just grabbed me, but this one uh, was several years back from Monster.com, which is a job search uh, online company, and they just hit the nail on the head, in my opinion, in terms of their target audience, people that are a little dissatisfied with their jobs in their workplace, that are wondering, have I met my potential? I don't know if you caught it right there at the end, but this hypothetical situation where this baby is dropped off by the stork, which we know is fiction, obviously, but for the sake of the commercial, the stork then, grown up, is looking at the man, grown up, and looking longingly in the window as he puts in his time. And can't you just hear the stork say, really? Really, this is what you're doing? You're just going through the motions of life? You're just putting in your time? And as he yawns and just punches in and punches out, out of the clock. And I think that if we're honest, every single one of us today, in one way, shape, or form, whether you are going to a workplace, whether you are working remotely, whether you are a a parent that works from home and watches kids, or whatever it may be, every single one of us is asking that question at one point or another, have I reached my potential? And yet today, the question that I want to pose for you as we get started is much bigger than that and much larger and much more true than a stork delivering a baby. The question is this, did God literally move heaven and earth to bring you into existence, to die on a cross, to rise again on the third day so that you could go through the motions? So that you could live a life where you're not quite sure if you're living a life of significance or impact or not. Maybe God has done all of that so that you could live a life of significance and passion and purpose. Psalm chapter 90 puts it this way. You'll see it up on the screen. Let's read this nice and loud together from verse 12. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What is the psalmist saying? How do you get wise? You live your life with an understanding that our time here on earth is so short compared to eternity. That life on this earth is so fleeting compared to the eternal life that Jesus offers every single one of us. And to live your life in light of that, that should lead us to live life with a certain level of intentionality. Now, some of you might be saying, yeah, John, that's it for me. I don't feel like I am living a life of purpose and impact and intentionality. I am that guy. I yawn through work a lot. I I can't wait till I can clock out at the end of the day. I don't feel like what I'm doing maybe from 9 to 5, wherever that may be in this new working world that we have, has a impact on the larger world, has a, a life of significance, and maybe it's Time for a change for you, and and I'm going to tell you right off the bat, that is not this sermon. If you would like life coaching, there are other people that can do that. I don't know what career you should choose. I don't know if you're in a dead-end job or not, but what I want to propose today is something different. 
long before we get to the question of, oh, Pastor John, should I quit my job? You know, Pastor told me, please don't go and do that. Please don't tweet that out right now. Pastor John, I, I don't really like my job, so I'm going to walk in there tomorrow morning and say, my pastor told me, or God told please don't do that. We're going to go to God's word on this. Long before we get to those questions, I want to ask the why before the what. What difference does knowing Jesus Christ make when it comes to our work or when it comes to our school, which depending on what type of schooling you're in might feel like work a lot of days. What does knowing Jesus Christ, what, what impact does that have on us discovering our potential? What difference does Jesus make? Is it a game changer when it comes to finding our potential? And that's the series that we're starting today, Faith at Work and School. And I can't think that this is more timely as a lot of people, or maybe you are shifting careers, or you're re-entering that fall season. Definitely, maybe your kids are going back to school in a few weeks, or you're going to grad school, or adult classes, or whatever that may be. It's a season as we're heading into the fall, which is a timely uh, space for this sermon series as well. But the truth is this. Annie Dillard once famously said, how we spend our days, of course, is how we spend our lives. Think about that for a moment. No, I just, I'm going to get by and I'll give it a few years and when I get to that season of life and then I'll get my calling and my vocation figured out. No, this, that quote resonates with me a lot. How we spend our days is how we end up spending our years and that's how we end up spending our lives. And for a lot of us, how we spend our lives is at work. Did you know that over the course of your lifetime and an, an average length of time that somebody works, maybe 40, 50 years, 60 years, give or take a few, in that in your lifetime, you will work 90,000 hours. 90,000 hours of your life will be spent in some kind of work. That is one-third of your life. So please don't say, Pastor John, can we talk about something a little bit more spiritual? You want to know why? Because I believe that God cares about every single one of those 90,000 hours. I believe that God cares about the moments that you spend outside these four walls just as he much as does what you spend here. You're here a couple hours away, give or take, maybe more if you're volunteering, if you're a small group. God really cares about that time. But so often we don't live that way. Now help me out a little bit. You remember the old song, right? Help me out. Everybody's working for the... Really? That's, that's it. That's what we're working for. I'm working so I can just get to one more weekend and have a temporary fix because I don't really like my job and I don't really feel like I'm making an impact or having significance. So I'm just going to try to make it to the weekend or is there something deeper than that? What if waiting to punch in and punch out and clocking in the time and going through the motions, what if we went to God's word this morning? to define for us the why behind the what of work, the inner motivations, and, and get to the heart of it a little bit. And I think what we'll find is that God's word actually breaks down and dismantles some myths about work that we've been handed over the course of our lives. If you got your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 2. Your Bibles, your Bible apps, your phones, whatever you got. I know everybody's got a phone. So get the Version Bible app, then you always have your Bible with you. Genesis chapter 2 is conveniently located probably on page 2 of your Bible. It's right there at the beginning. Genesis chapter 2. Just to get me through it. Just, just get me through it, we say a lot. And that's myth number one. Myth number one about work is this. Work is a distraction from what really matters. 
Work is a distraction, or school for that matter, is a distraction from what really matters. Just get me through my work day, get my degree, get me through my day at school so that I can get on to real life, to what really matters. Well, Genesis 2 has something to say about that. You skip ahead in the story. God has created the world, yes? And then we get to Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now, that might seem very, very simple, but I don't want you to miss this profound truth. Work was created by God. Work was created by God. It is not a penalty of sin. The fall had not happened yet. God created work. And maybe some of you feel like you're going to jail or you're going into a penalty a box when you go to work every single day, but it is a holy thing. Skip down in the story to verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and eventually Adam and Eve both take on this role. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So what's happening here? Long before the fall, God created work, whatever that looks like for you in your life, as something that we join God in what he's already doing. Work is a holy calling, and it's something that we partner with God on. God says, I've already been at work in creation, making all these things, and Adam and Eve, I'm inviting you to be a part of this. Work is something that we work and we co-author this story with God. We participate with him in caring for and having authority over the world. Work is not something we do apart from God, but something that God is deeply engaged in. It is a holy calling. Amen? Myth busted. So it's not just something that we get through as a means to an end, but that leads to myth number two when it comes to our faith. Myth number two, our faith is limited to a time and a place. This is what trips a lot of us up. Pastor John, that's great. I get that work was created by God, that it's a holy thing. But isn't faith kind of a Sunday thing? Isn't faith just something I do here in this building for a couple hours? And that ultimately is the question that all of us in the course of our lives have to wrestle with. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we have to ask ourselves, is faith something I do or is it about a person that I am? That no matter where I go, I bring the presence of Jesus Christ with me. The answer of how we bust that myth is to start seeing God in all of life. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Paul puts it this way, Colossians 3, 17. Let's read it together. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everybody say, whatever you do. Whatever you do. And that could be at home, that could be at work, that could be at school, that could be with the kids. Whatever you do, do it for God's glory. Jesus wants all of you. Not the Sunday morning version of you. Not just the church version of you. Not the version of you that is this one way with this group of friends and yet you're another way with another group of friends. And I'm going to be on fire for Jesus on Sunday morning, but I can't possibly do that in my workplace or at school. Think about it this way. You see this little pie chart up on the screen and that's you in the middle. This is your, the, the pie chart or the pizza of your life. And you got all these slices and a, a lot of us, this is how we think about our lives. We say, I have all these different compartments of my life. I've got my family and my work and my hobbies and my health and my school and my home. I love how there's a piece of this that just says stuff. I didn't make that chart. I don't know what that means. Y'all got your stuff, all right? You know, 
your stuff, all right? Finances, friends, church, and maybe that could be a little bigger, but then we go, oh, yeah, my relationship with God. Every week we say, now that you've come to worship, go be the church, and so, wait a minute, that's a Sunday morning thing. God says, no, it's not, and we say, I'm going to try to fit God as a little sliver in that pie chart of my life. The problem is if you showed that chart to an early follower of Jesus that had just witnessed a man named Jesus predict his own death and resurrection and then actually follow through on it and then he literally changed their life. He transformed their life from the inside out that they will never be the same and you show them this chart and say, now, that resurrected savior that's literally transformed your life, which little sliver of the pie would you like to fit him in? It doesn't work that way because you'll never be able to fit the God of the universe in the tiny little box that you want to put him in. Amen? He doesn't fit on the pie chart, but we try to do that all the time. What part of life is my faith? All of it. It's God in the center, and wherever I go, whatever part of my life that I am in, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I can't take that hat off. In fact, I love this story all the way back in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 3. There's a guy named Moses. You maybe have heard of him. He's a sheep herder. And he is tending sheep for over 40 years in the land of Midian. And he's probably crossed this way hundreds, if not thousands of times, and he's walked by this dead, boring bush. You know, putting in his time. Clocking in and clocking out for his hours, his job as a shepherd. And one day, the bush lights up on fire. And God starts talking to him through this bush. And I can imagine Moses going, wow, this is new, right? This hasn't happened before. And what does God say? God says this in Exodus 3, verse 5. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And I can imagine Moses going, you mean this ordinary boring clump of dirt? The, the same clump of dirt that I've walked over every single day of my dead-end boring job as a shepherd for the last 40 years? God says, yeah, that one. Could it be that the ground that God is there present in with the burning bush has always been holy and Moses is just now becoming aware of it? Could it be that that job, that calling, that classroom, wherever God brings you to, that living room as you watch your kids, has always been holy and now you're just becoming aware of it? Could it be that God is everywhere and in not some compartments of your life? One of the greatest Christian authors of all time, Pastor A.W. Tozer, he says this. It's a little bit long of a quote, but hang with me. It's powerful. He says this. Let every person abide in the calling wherein they are called, and the work will be as sacred as the work of the ministry. Let me just pause right there. Some of us think, I'm not going to really do anything significant for God unless I'm a pastor or a worship leader or an overseas missionary or something. Now, listen to what he says about that. It is not what a person does that determines whether their work is sacred or secular. It is why they do it. The motive is everything. Go to the next slide. Let a person sanctify the Lord God in their hearts, and they can thereafter do no common act. All they do is good and acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For such a person, living itself, breathing itself, will be sacramental, and the whole world a sanctuary. 
Their entire life will be a priestly ministration. What does that big fancy church word mean? Their entire life is ministry. You don't need to stand on this stage or be a church staff or be a foreign missionary to do ministry. What I, what I love about what Tozer is saying is that when you make God the object, the affection of whatever you are doing, your work or your schooling, nothing you do will ever be common again. Nothing you do will ever be ordinary again. A lot of us think like, I come into the worship center here at Hope Elam to worship. What is Tozer saying? Right out of scripture, right out of almost every single psalm. When you make God the object of every single thing you do, back to Colossians 3, in word or deed, the entire world becomes a sanctuary. Your entire life becomes a worship center. Because the presence of God is with you at all times. I don't need a physical location to worship God because I can drop to my knees in my living room and worship him. Amen? God is everywhere. Nothing you do because the power of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. Therefore, wherever you go is not common. It is not ordinary. The Holy Spirit is in every single place. All 500 people that worship this morning at Hope Elam and many more in our online family, everywhere you go this week will never be the same. All of life is a worship center. The entire, your entire life, your living, your breathing is a sacrament, is an act of worship. And hear me say this. We need to respect the authorities in our life. We need to respect those that have authority over us on this earth. Our, your bosses, your supervisors. Even if you disagree with them, we can still respect them. It doesn't mean you always have to agree with them. But I will tell you this. Because it's about the why behind the what. Because it's about the heart motive. If you are trying to fill your soul and be satisfied, primarily working for the approval of another human being, you will never be satisfied. The only way... The only way that whatever you place your hands on, whatever you do from 9 to 5, or from 5 to 9, whatever shift you work, the only way that your soul will be satisfied is if your work becomes worship. If Jesus becomes the object of anything that you put your hands to, and if you work for an audience of one, it is a game changer. Now, sometimes it's easier. I can preach at you all day long, and sometimes it's easier to see a sermon than hear one. And here's the amazing thing. Here's the good news. You are an incredible church, and you are doing this in so many ways. You've taken this go be the church thing to heart. And I hear so many incredible stories, and I want to share a few of them with you this morning. I'm going to invite a couple friends up uh, on the stage. Jory O'Leary and Brandon Joshua are a couple awesome members of our team here, uh, of our congregation here at Hope Elma. I'm going to welcome them up to share a little bit about how they live out their faith in the workplace. Welcome up Jory and Brandon up to the stage. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, man, these look, guys look kind of familiar. Uh, well, it's because they do. Jory is uh, on our worship team here and uh, does an incredible job, by the way, leading worship. Give it up for Jory and her gifts. Absolutely. Uh, if, if you recognize Brandon, Brandon's one of our awesome uh, men's ministry team leaders here, at least some of our men's uh, small groups as well. So welcome, Brandon. Um, a, a fun fact, if some of you parents are going, hey, I've seen that guy before. Well, 
This guy was JC in our VBS skits uh, this year. In fact, a little girl came up to me last week and, and was walking by and saw Brandon and went, Mommy, Mommy, it's Jesus! <laughs> so I told Brandon, no pressure, no pressure. He, he played JC in the skit, so uh, no pressure today as you answer, Brandon. But thanks for, uh, for doing what you do. So uh, I, I would love to just take a moment to uh, have you guys tell everybody, what is it that you do? Uh, as a normal, everyday uh, job. Now, nothing normal about what you do, but what originally drew you to that? What, what called you to that? Uh, I know there's not every day necessarily you're passionate uh, about what you do, but what, what is it? What stirred in that passion to draw you to that career? Let's start with Jory, and then we'll hop over to Brandon. I am a teacher. I teach 8th and ninth grade choir at Johnson Middle School, and when I was in college and going through my student teaching, I told myself I was never going to teach middle school, never, <laughs> ever. And um, I had a huge heartbreaking um, rejection from what I thought was my dream job, hmm. teaching at a high school. And um, as I was processing through that, God like nudged me to look at this uh, position that was open at Johnson Middle School. Yeah. And uh, I decided to apply, even though I remember when I applied, I was just like, okay, you know, just like give it a try. Yeah. But my heart wasn't in it at all. Yep. And uh, I accepted the position. And after just a few weeks, I had fallen in love with the job and the kids. And yeah. um, I I'm going to be starting my eighth year there, wow. and it's my dream job. Praise God. Yeah. That's awesome. It, uh, it sounds like God knew what he was doing behind the scenes there. That's awesome. How about you, Brandon? Yeah. Thank you, George. Yeah. You're good. All right, cool. Yeah. Um, I'm Brandon Joshua. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a realtor. So a lot of people think it's a realtor. It's a realtor. So I just <laughs> wanted to drop that little nugget of information. Um, so next month officially for me will be five years in the industry. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank God. you. That's thank awesome. you. Yeah. I appreciate everyone. Um, so initially, uh, I kind of, you know, rewind back to 2015. So I was taking my GREs, had gotten accepted into grad school, um, and I ended up getting into some legal trouble. Mm. And so that kind of diverted my path. And so I just felt like at the time God was steering me clear of that occupation. Yeah. Um, I was enrolled and accepted at University of South Dakota to do clinical mental health specialization. So hmm. I was working with um, special care needs, um, doing supportive community living and all that stuff. So yeah. it was really um, something that I had dreamt of doing. It was yep. empowering for me. So it was very disheartening um, when God kind of diverted my path. But yep. um, Real estate is something that it's helped me to have gratitude just for life because I'm working with different demographics of people. Um, mm -hmm. And so it gives me a nuance and um, just kind of a profound sense of empowerment. So. Yeah, I love that. What I love about both of your stories, I didn't realize this until about right now, but it seems like there's this element of on my way to what I thought I wanted, God drew me to what I needed. And maybe the first thing I was looking for is not always what God ultimately has for us, but he gets us where he wants us. So I want to shift gears a little bit because I'm guessing there are some of us out there today that are thinking, that's great for them. I'm sure they love their job every single day and it's always easy and nobody ever gets on their nerves and there's, you know, all of that. I'm guessing that's not true though. 
Uh, so what is it? Both of you are devoted followers of Jesus. You're active here in the church. Most of your time is not spent here, although you're serving and volunteering at Hope Elam in a variety of ways. What is it about your faith in Jesus Christ that changes the way that you enter every day? That day where, man, you're dreading that meeting that's coming up, or you're not looking forward to a tough conversation, or you just don't have the willpower or the motivation to serve and to, to do what you've been called to do. How does your faith change your perspective and change how you enter into each day of work? Uh, Brandon, let's start with you this time. Um, I think that video really exemplified, uh, <laughs> just was very metaphorical, like God has moved mountains. Um, so for me, I pay a lot of homage to God just yeah. because he made all of the earthly impossibilities possible for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I never... I've had a lot of backsliding and a lot of setbacks. So for me to be able to be in the position that I'm in, I give it all to God and all the glory goes to him. Um, and so just to be able to just kind of have that gratitude when I get up um, because I, I shouldn't be, I don't deserve it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just kind of have that. It's a, a get to, not a got to kind of attitude. And uh, I think that really helps to motivate me even when I get burnt out, because we all get burnt out, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, and so that just kind of like gives me a spiritual resilience. Yeah, it's all grace, isn't it? Yeah. It's all grace. Yeah. That's awesome. Jory, how about you? How would you speak to that? Well, the, over the past couple years with COVID and everything yeah. with the schools, uh, there were definitely plenty of days where it was hard, yes. like real hard. Yeah. Um, but I think during that time, I think God really showed me that I can't nor should I take any of the moments that I have for granted yeah. with my students. Yeah. Um, and so last year, uh, last school year, uh, I spent a lot of time with the students talking about how um, every moment is a gift and yeah. that we need to make the most of it. And I think that um, so many times throughout the past few years and those hardships, God has mm -hmm. just made that abundantly clear yep. and, um, really just the only way that, that I've been able to continue and come like renew my contract to come back this fall yep. is because of the strength he's given me through everything and the hardships. So just leaning well, on him. Let me say this Jory, to you and every teacher, school staff, administrator, worker in any way. One of the many reasons that we're doing this appreciation dinner on Tuesday is that as a parent of some elementary school kids or middle school kids, I cannot imagine what you've been through and we are so thankful for everything that you and every teacher does every single day as well. So thank you for that. Um, one of the things that I love about both of you is the way that you are very open about your faith, and that's probably easier to do here, and I think we would all admit that. Neither of you are in full-time ministry, and yet I know God is doing ministry through you every single day. There are many of us out here that are like, ain't no way I'm talking about Jesus in my workplace, right? I'm not going there. I don't want to burn a bridge. I don't want to be that awkward Christian person that's like, hey, do you want to go to church with me on Sunday, or can I pray for you? You know, we don't want to be that person, and we've all heard those horror stories, how have you found uh, maybe some ways that you can authentically live out your faith with your coworkers, with the clients, with the people that you work with, without being that Christian that pushes others 
away. How have you found uh, able to do that and connect with people to bring faith into your workplace? Brandon, we'll start with you again. Um, honestly, so I do real estate. And so yep. a lot of the times I'm not at my brokerage. Yep. So like you said, the earth is our turf. Yep. It's our sanctuary. <laughs> so when I'm out and about, like I really utilize the resources that I gain from here and the bread and the Bible, yep. I really take that and, and use it and help people. You know what I mean? And so even my coworkers, they, they notice a newfound, like a, a glow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'll just say that. And, and that's God. You yep. know what I mean? Because I was in a place of darkness, yep. you know, literally. And so he pulled me out. Um, people ask what's different, what's going on in your life. And so, you know, I have to glorify him. I'm not, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm not just going to just take all that praise. And right. uh, so when I'm out, I'm, I'm really intentional. Yeah. Um, I, I do real estate. And so it's very transactional based. And yep. so for me, I don't ever try to look and use people as a means to my end. It's mm-hmm. more relational. You know what I mean? I like so, so when I'm coming in, you know, I, I see, I meet them where they're at. And that's just how real estate is, too. You know what I mean? You meet someone where they're at, whether you're working with a luxury listing or whether you're working with someone in a 60 or $70,000 property. Yep. You have the same mentality. So So what I hear you saying is in a transactional uh, world, you're living a transformation of your life in the middle of that and setting a different example. That's awesome. Jory, how about you? What are some ways you've been authentically able to share your faith in the workplace? We have a lot of students in our building that either choir or band is what gets them up and gets them to school every day. And I think a lot of that is because um, it's really important to me. And and I will say that our the other like music uh, staff in our building that we know the students. And so on the first day, and that could be so hard because we'll have hundreds of kids in our programs that we're responsible for. Um, but I really try to get to know them right away and show them that I want to know them and love them, just love them. And we have kids that, you know, I'll have students in my room that are really struggling everywhere else in the building, but when they come to choir, they're not a behavior problem. They're just, have you know, having the time of their life. It's a great break for them. And I think it's because of the relationships that I'm able to really build with them and the trust that they have in me. So awesome. And what I love about what both of you shared is just the power of living a better story. There's something about you that people say, I don't I don't know what that is about the two of you, but but I want that. Like you were saying, Brandon, it's it's the power of relationships and living that out. So thank you to both of you for the ways that not only you live out your faith here in these four walls, but even more importantly, the way that you take that out there, that you never stop uh, putting that hat on, that this is who you are, this is who God's made you to be, and thank you for doing ministry in the ways that you do it. Let's thank Jory and Brandon for coming up. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Now, what they were sharing a little bit there at the end, I know maybe that's starting to make some of you feel uncomfortable because you're like, there is no way that I am going to do anything to do with faith in my workplace. Pastor John, you don't understand where I'm at. Maybe these guys can do it, but not me. And that leads to our last myth that we want to bust this morning is myth number three. Faith is primarily a private endeavor. I mean, it's great for Sunday. It's great in these church walls. But in my workplace? Are you kidding me? 
in my classroom with those friends, with that neighbor? No, no, we talk about sports and the weather. Let's just leave it at that. Let's just leave it at the surface level and let's not make it awkward. Let's just keep it there. Well, the problem with that is that it flies in the face of the identity that Jesus has already given us. That he says, this is who you are, and it was in our scripture reading for today. If you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. This is his first big kind of inauguration speech. And he's speaking to not a bunch of people that are rich or well-off or the religious leaders of the day. Jesus is literally speaking to the riffraff, to the lowest of the low, to the people that have been kind of kicked out that are living on the countryside, the people that don't feel like they have a lot going for them, the people that would say that my life is ordinary, not doing any ministry. I live out in the fields. I live out on the hillside, and Jesus gets up, and he starts to say this. Let's read it nice and loud together. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? You get the idea here. What is one of the main reasons that we use salt? To do what? To bring flavor. What is it about your life that brings flavor to the world around you? I remember my wife and I a couple years ago, somebody in a gift basket for Christmas gave us like 12 different flavored salts. Salt, flavors of salt you would never expect to put on your popcorn. I'm I grew up Norwegian, and everything's just kind of bland in Norwegian food. I just, oh, it's just popcorn, right? Parmesan something, something, or chipotle, or whatever, triple butter, whatever. We put these salts on. It was like, no, we're not just having a snack anymore. This is like a popcorn experience because of these flavored salts. What is it about your life that makes people stop and go, ooh, that's different? I, I don't know what that is, but I... I, I want that. I, just a hypothesis here. If we are the light of the world, if we are the salt of the earth, out there is where that makes a difference. In everyday life, when people look at Christians, shouldn't we be the most real, authentic, fun, joy-filled, peacemaking, hope-filled people in the world? Shouldn't we be? That when people look at our lives... Not perfect. Not perfect by any means. And that's a part of your testimony. This is a part of what Brandon and Tori were saying. Of what, what God has done in their life. They're not perfect, but real. I think the greatest compliment as Christians that we could get from a non-believer, from somebody that doesn't believe in Jesus, doesn't want anything to do with church, in your school, in your workplace, in your classroom, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, whoever you see, I don't know what it is about you but I want that. I don't even agree with you on everything. I, I think we had a different political sign in our yard last fall. But I want what you have. I, I want whatever is going on in your life because there's something missing. When did we stop believing as Christians that what is inside of us is what the world is desperate for? We're not playing church on Sundays. We're not coming and going through the motions and we walk back into our workplace and cower in fear because what if we possibly offend somebody? You have the hope of the world living inside of you and people need to know Jesus. So stop cowering in fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, right? Of power. When did you stop living 
the powerful life that Jesus has called you to? What is it about you? I don't know what it is, but I want that. And so often we miss the mark on that because we get caught up in a lie that's the justa lie. Everybody say justa. Justa. And it goes like this. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a accountant. I'm just a stay-at-home parent. Flip that on its head. If we are the light of the world, and if we're the salt of the earth, thank God that you are a teacher because we need the Spirit of God alive and well in our schools. Thank God that you are an accountant because we need people of integrity modeling that for their coworkers wherever God's called you to do that. Thank God that you're a stay-at-home parent because you can connect with people on your block that people inside the church could never connect with. Thank God that you go through the same grocery line on a regular basis and that you see that cashier and unbeknownst to you they're going through a, a difficult divorce and yet you take it upon your yourself to be salt and light, and you are the encouragement. You are the smile. You are the handshake. You are the hug that they needed that day. You have no idea what God wants to do through you. If you are available to him, thank God you have this faith. (laughs) The most effective evangelism tool is not some speech that you can memorize. The most effective evangelism tool that we have in the world, in your world, is you. Because you're the only you we have. So be you. Back to the stork in the window, right? (laughs) What if reaching your potential, oh, I haven't reached my potential. I haven't climbed the ladder enough. What if reaching your potential was not about how much money you make, what kind of car you drive, or what your title or your position is? What if reaching your potential has more to do with your ability to surrender to the will of God and to do and be whatever he has called you to be wherever he's called you? What if it was more about surrender and not so much about climbing the ladder and striving for significance? Do you know that as you walk down the ladder in a desire to serve those around you, (laughs) that in the kingdom of God, you're actually walking up it in significance? The world would say the opposite. Climb, 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 more, 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 more. Jesus says, climb down. Be careful about climbing the ladder of significance because you might meet Jesus on the way down. Who's saying, I'm here to wash some feet. I'm here to surrender, to be whatever it is that God has called. You are much more than just a fill in the blank. What does that look like? What does it look like to be salt and light? Among many, I just want to highlight two today. First one is this, to listen well. Some of you are like, wait a minute. I gotta memorize my testimony. I gotta get my elevator speech ready. So then that coworker comes and says, well, What did you do this weekend? Well, I went to church and I go to Hope Elam. The services are at 9 and 11. Do you know where you're gonna go when you die, right? Don't go to hell. You think it's been hot in August. <laughs> Some of you are like, Wriggly. That's it. That's my speech. <laughs> what I would like to propose to you today is maybe don't start with Turner Burn. What I would like to propose to you today is that a lost art in the world that we live in is listening. And I mean listening as if you actually care. And you are not planning your rebuttal in your head as the other person is pouring out their heart. We don't know how to listen. And you have all experienced that in your life where you've experienced someone that gave you the time of day. You might disagree with them. They may not want anything to do with Jesus or the church. 
But man, those Christians, it's like they really care. Nobody, list, nobody in my workplace listens to me like that person. That's how you let your light shine. Don't just listen horizontally. I think every day when we go into our workplace, when we go into our school, when we go into our classroom, what if every day we were having thousands of horizontal conversations, and as we were doing that, we were having the vertical conversation with God? When Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, pray continuously, some of you are like, that would be awkward. I would just be talking to myself the whole day. Well, that would be true if we thought that prayer was about talking. What if praying continuously had less to do with talking throughout the whole day and more to do with listening throughout the entire day? That you have a never-ending conversation going on with a God that knows you and created you and knows you better than anybody else. When's the last time you went into your workday saying, God, what would you have me do today? God, who do you want to cross my path with? God, God when's the last time you prayed going into that tough meeting, into that conference meeting, in that meeting with your boss or your, your supervisor? When's the last time you asked God for advanced words going into your day or going into your week? Listen well, not just to the people around you. That I always remember this. The man, I heard this quote, the man that invented the stethoscope long ago, doctors used to listen to see what's going on inside of you. He was training a bunch of doctors on the stethoscope, and he said, if you use this instrument correctly, your patients will tell you how to heal them. If you use this instrument, meaning the heart and soul that God's put inside of you well, and you listen to your coworkers, and you listen to your students, and you listen to your colleagues at work, they will give you a glimpse into their world of how Jesus wants to heal them. And you'll find those beautiful Holy Spirit moments where God's story comes crashing into their story. Listen well. Secondly, love deeply. You all know 1 Corinthians 13. <laughs> it's way more than just a, a wedding scripture, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not boastful. Love is not proud. Lo lo love is not rude. It's not self-seeking or any of those things. <laughs> what if you brought that mentality into your workplace, into your classroom every single day? In a world that loves to polarize, in a world that loves to cancel each other out, what if Christians were known more for our mercy than winning arguments? I can't wait to hang out with that Christian friend of mine because nobody has shown me the kindness of God like them. I know that we disagree on a lot of things. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't go to church. But man, they are the kindest person that I know. They showed me mercy when I was going through a divorce. When I, when I thought I was going to lose my job, they were the first person there to say, how are you doing? How can I listen to you? Love is patient. Love is kind. I don't see anywhere in that string, that statement in 1 Corinthians 13, love wins debates. Love wins online arguments. What are we known for? To be salt to be light, to love well. Followers of Jesus set the tone. We set 
the temperature. Don't forget it was Dr. King himself who drew this beautiful illustration that wherever you go and whatever you do as a follower of Jesus, the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, we are called to be thermostats, not thermometers. We're not called to be thermometers that just take on the temperature and the tone of what everybody else is doing and blend in with what everybody else is saying. We are called to be thermostats that set the temperature, that set the tone. And when everybody else around us, whether it's in our workplace, in our school, in our small group, in our family, in, in the church, when everybody else is running around and gossiping or complaining and, and turning the tides and, and, and thinking, oh, this is falling apart and this is terrible, I'm going to talk about this person, and going about it in an all-unhealthy way, we are thermostats. We set the temperature. We set the tone. That's who you are. It's easy to complain. It's easy to gossip. It's easy to hold a grudge, and that's easy, but I have heard it said, and I completely agree with it. The world is not changed by your opinion. It's changed by your example. And we have the opportunity to be a part of the change. When the temperature is going up, we go over, and as Christians, we are the thermostats. We set the temperature. We're on a mission from God. We're a lighthouse as a church. We are a multicultural, Bible-believing, spirit-filled, Christ-centered church at 2500 University. We set the temperature in the city of Des Moines. That's who God has called us to be. And every single day, no matter what you do from 9 to 5, you have a choice. Are you going to be a thermometer or are you going to be a thermostat? Who are we called to be as a church? You are a child of God. You are salt and light. Everywhere we go, we have an opportunity to shift the atmosphere with faith and hope and love. And I know, I can preach my lungs out of here. I could talk all day long about this. And some of you, I know, are still sitting there going, yeah, but John, you just don't understand. I am literally in a dead-end job. None of what you've said today applies to me. I am the one person that actually has the worst job in the world. There is no way that I'm going to live a life of significance and, and impact. And I, this story always comes to mind. It's my Uncle Mike. <laughs> my Uncle Mike is about my dad's age. He's, he's uh, recently retired. But about 15 years ago, he was feeling that tug of, God, I really thought I was going to be a pastor. I thought I was going to go into, you know, real full-time ministry. And yet he found himself for the 21st year in a row in the IT department on the fourth floor of the West Wing of the Information Tech Center at Delta Airlines in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which before was Northwest Airlines, for all you airline trivia junkies out there. Worked for Northwest, worked for Delta. He's coming up on retirement. He's looking ahead at his life. He's like, 15 years of this? I don't know. And he was really disheartened. I'm in a dead-end job. I'll never make an impact for Christ. Until he started to notice the hurts and the pains and the wounds of people around him. L literally cubicle land. Jesus isn't there, is he? And he starts to notice all the pains and the hurts and the wounds and the stories that are coming through uh, the, the department. And even some of his superiors would come and tell him about what's going on in their life. And he would just start to talk to them. He's like, how can we build on this? And he goes to a local grocery market, like a Sam's Club or something, and buys in bulk snacks and drinks and he opens up Mike's Mini Mart on the fourth floor of the West Wing of the Information Tech Center at Delta Airlines. 
And all of a sudden, this is the place to be. And nobody goes out for lunch anymore. And nobody goes to the vending machines for snacks anymore. I don't know if that was a good thing, but they come to Mike's Mini Mart because he sells them for 25 cents a piece. And what do they do when you're standing around the water cooler or you're getting a drink or a snack? You're talking to my Uncle Mike. And you're sharing about your life. And he's listening and he's saying, could I pray about that for you? What do you do when you're going through that? Well, let me tell you about this man named Jesus. Let me, let me tell you about my faith. Let me tell you about what God has done in my life. And all of a sudden, this is the place to be. And all of a sudden, he goes, I think I started a church at Delta Airlines, right in the middle of my cubicle land. And, you, and, and then so some people started to complain and say, well, is this just a big money grab, you know, for you? Where's all this money going? A few years ago, we were going through some old stuff with my Uncle Mike, and he gave me one year of 15 years of Mike's Mini Mart that this thing took off. He gave me an annual report of Mike's Mini Mart. Without knowing it, this is how the fourth floor, the west wing of the Delta Tech Support was transformed for God's mission. Just one year. $100 for Freedom for 24, a mission in India rescuing girls from human trafficking. $200, women's shelter in Jerusalem hosting Jewish and Arab women. $300, Operation Christmas Child, shoeboxes full of gifts giving to needy children overseas. $500, Bunia Children's Home, orphanage in the Congo, West Africa. $500, Eagle Scout efforts to make 100 fleece blankets for orphanages in Ukraine. $700, lunch for food for kids in inner city St. Paul. And the list just kept going over and over and over. One year, $5,700 in quarters for the 15th year in a row signed on a mission for him, Mike Stockboy. I don't tell you that story so that you'll go start a mini market <laughs> in your workplace tomorrow. You might want to start a church because we're two or more and gathered. I tell you that because every workplace and every school and every home under every roof that you go to this next week, you have the opportunity to set the temperature, to bring the power of the Holy Spirit with you wherever you go. And nothing that you put your hands to this next week will ever be ordinary. Amen? Amen. Wherever you're at, let's stand as we prepare our hearts for Holy Communion. Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope-elam.org.